0: I'm Brent Coleman, and you're listening to the Sound Balloons.
1: Morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm joined by California Love Williams. I, I never practice these things. On the docket today, we're going to go back to last week and talk about two Minnesota wins in a row against FC Cincinnati and Colorado. Then look ahead to yet another game against Sporting Kansas City. The 789th in the never-ending series, uh, and maybe we can even talk about the Chicago Fire a little. It strikes me that every week we do this and we talk about the next, we talk about the last two games in the next game, but then we miss the other game because we play 350 games a week. So um, maybe we'll get to the Chicago Fire. But first, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season: Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross, and Blue Shield of Minnesota. Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank the sponsors for sticking with us throughout this weird and wild season to learn more about any of our partners. You can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, I think I figured out, I alluded to it before, I think I figured out one of the reasons that, that 2020 has felt like it's just taking forever. And that's, okay, so let me lay this out. There were two game weeks before the season was suspended, you know, back in, back in March. Then there was the MLS's back tournament. And then Minnesota United played their first game uh, of the season, the resumed season on August 21st against Sporting Kansas city. And the team is going to be facing this weekend in the real world. It has been nine weeks since that game. That game was nine weeks ago in MLS. We just wrapped up week 21. So I feel like I'm on that planet from interstellar where time is like all messed up and everyone on the ship has to wait like 23 years for the people on the planet who feel like they were gone for three hours. Like, Realizing that we've squeezed, I mean, even if you give a couple of those group stage games count and those first two weeks, that's still really like, you know, it, sh- it should be 12 weeks, 13 weeks, and we've squeezed, it's week 21 in MLS somehow. And this is why I think it just 2020, it feels like it's never going to end. it.
0: I'm tired, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really tired. Um, <laughs> at what point does it become about quantity as opposed to quality? You know, it feels like we're just, you know, meshing it all together and, and just, uh, we, which look, we we knew it was going to have to happen after the MLS's back tournament finished. We we knew this was going to be the situation if we wanted to make it a legitimate season. Um, I believe the, the phrase is dragging arse. Um <laughs> I've used that
1: phrase before, for sure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you had said a while ago. Um, just feels like the entirety of the league is going through that right now, just to get through this irregular, regular season. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I can't imagine being a player right now going through this. You know, we're talking about how tired we are and how long the season's been Imagine being a player going through this. Um, I don't think it's been uh, highlighted anywhere near enough all the issues that the players have had to go through both psychologically and physically this season, um, legitimately putting their bodies on the line with COVID-19 still being uh, a legitimate threat, um, even at this stage of of the year. Um, So, yeah, it's... Look, I mean, it's going to be one of those years that we will always remember for the wrong reasons. 2020 can, quite frankly, bugger off, in my opinion. It's just... um, it's becoming beyond tedious now. I think everybody's ready for 2021. If indeed that is the corner where we we as uh, as a world turn, um, then so be it. I think we'd all welcome January first right now, wouldn't we? But um, you know, the the good thing is, Steve, is that it does feel as though things are slowly starting to to not get back to normal, but are starting to become accessible. Things like sports and and people getting into stadiums. Things like, you know, bars and restaurants slowly starting to figure things out. Um, it feels like people now are actually starting to wear masks, um, finally. <laughs> who'd, who'd have thought? Um, and um, it, it, it does feel like it's it's slowly coming together. But, um, yeah, I think tedious is probably the correct word to use when you think about
1: 2020. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, Super sanguine um, about you know what twenty twenty one is going to be like uh, at least for the first half of it at this point, uh, Cal. But um, you know, I think that I feel like some people are adjusting. Uh, some people still are refusing to adjust. Uh, you know, we're still hitting we're hitting new highs <laughs> in COVID nineteen cases. So I, I feel like you know hey, if we have to go back to let's lock it down, maybe this time we'll take it seriously and then maybe we can nip this thing in, um, it's, I guess we're far past the bud of this thing. Maybe it's the butt, nip it in the butt at this point. Um, but anyways, we don't have that much control over that. I wear a mask wherever I go. Everybody, wear your masks. Um, let's, uh, yes, I wanted to come back. I was going to talk about it a little bit later in the context of some other stuff, but let's talk about it now a little bit. A thing that, that, that strikes me is um, you know, in terms of the, the 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 players and 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 what they've had to go through um, with regards to this, you know, there's nobody who could get me on a plane right now. Um, and I know that they're not flying coach; everything is is chartered, which is great. But still, just thinking about, I mean, I <laughs> I mask up and get sort of girded for war to go to like the grocery store, you know, for as little time as possible. And these guys are. Traveling to other places twice a week, most of the time, or at least you know once a week, they're traveling, they're playing twice, twice a week, and everything is just so upended right now. You know, like the, in terms of that, you know, like Kai Kamara, I was going to say, you know, I wouldn't say that it's not like he's he hasn't struggled exactly since coming to Minnesota United, but it, he hasn't like clicked yet in the way that you would hope. uh You know, your forward bringing in to score goals would have would have clicked yet. He's just got the one penalty uh, goal so far. Um, but, like, I think he's been fine as a player. We just haven't seen the end product yet. The thing is, is that in a normal season, a player train changes teams in the middle of the season. It takes them a couple games to kind of get their sea legs. But that's, coming in, that's when you're coming into a situation in which everything is stable for the rest of the team, right? Like if a team has a way they do things, they have a, a routine, they have you know a sort of rigorous way that they go about stuff. Yeah, it takes you some time to get adjusted. But once you get in there, you fall into the flow of things. There's just no flow anywhere. You know, like Kamar comes over and joins. Them. Games are postponed. Training is canceled. You know, the games are so compressed you can't get tactical training in at all, which is like, that's the thing is that, I mean, props to to Bakai Debassi for coming in and, and hitting the ground running and being great, but he's also defending. Uh, he's not trying to execute, you know, tactical moves of spacing and hitting crosses and, you know, defense, defense. I'm not like slagging on defense. Like I, I, was a def- I was a defender to the extent that I played soccer at all, but defense is about reaction and prevention, like attack offense is about is about production and precision and so to get those things to happen when you can't have tactical training because there's just not time to regenerate bef- between games it's uh it's ludicrous so i feel like you know every time we have a game and it's like well wow, that was that was a little bit of a rough performance it all has to come in the context of just what a weird year this is
0: yeah so again with, with all that in mind i, I would reserve um, with regards to really critiquing players this year. I think, it's, I think it's tough. Having said that, I am going to critique a player now because yeah. uh, I, I don't think he's been good enough. And that is uh, someone who I thought was excellent last year and, and really made a, a solid impression on himself in his first year in Major League Soccer. And that's uh, Fulmar Mittenier. Not been good enough over the last couple of weeks, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I, It's funny, Steve, you, you mentioned um, Kai Kamara, who... It's. It, it, it's it, I don't think it's been as successful as people would have wanted it to so far um, you know and I think a lot of that that comes down to the fact that Minnesota at the moment don't seem to be playing to, to Kai Kamara's strengths and that is getting the ball in the box from the wide areas Minnesota used to be this team where straight away it was ping the ball out wide press as high as you can get the overlapping fullbacks involved get it to them get to the byline get the ball in um, and and uh, find a teammate to, to execute an effort of some sort. And Kai Kamara is a perfect centre forward in this league to, to be in that system. Um, and we've not done that anywhere near as much as, as Minnesota used to um, over the course of, of the last two or three months, in my opinion. Now, I think a lot of that comes down to the, the addition of Emmanuel Reynoso. A lot of the play now goes through Reynoso in the centre of the field, and, and I understand that. Um, but I think because of that, Minnesota have perhaps sacrificed a little bit of the the wide play. Um, and also now because it looks as if when everybody's fit and healthy, it's Robin Lurd on the right and it's Kevin Molino on the left, either side of Reynoso. So um, both more than capable. Obviously, we saw Robin Lurd score again last night. Um, but because they're playing as inverted wingers who are natural um, with the opposing foot to the side that they're playing on, it's very rare that they actually get to the byline and cross, and, and there's no momentum with these crosses. But whenever the crosses come in, it's usually because the players check back and can, they can whip a ball in, no problem. But, Steve, there's something to be said about when you have a cross coming in and it's got a ton of pace behind it, those are the types of crosses that Kai Kamara loves to attack. And we've seen him be successful with those types of crosses during the entirety of his career here in Major League Soccer. So, you know, I, I understand a little bit of the criticism. Uh, but I think it's it's harsh at the moment, um, and I look. I, I don't know. I don't know if things necessarily need to change because <laughs> Minnesota are winning. But I think it's safe to say, over the course of the last two games, it's not been particularly pleasant viewing, um, and I would assume there would be some discussions up at Blaine at the training centre over the course of the next few days about that.
1: Yeah. I feel like, I feel like Kai really would have liked to get his head on that ball that Lalas Bubakar headed. <laughs> that was like a perfect, that was a perfect cross for, for Kamara to knock in. Uh, we'll uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little more uh, soon. Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the winning ways, as you said, um, the Minnesota United now undefeated in its last six, which is three wins and three draws. That's the second longest streak in the club's MLS history behind a seven game unbeaten run last season. Um, it's, it's it's funny how this this stuff changes because before the last two games, you would have said, well, they're unbeaten in in, in a bunch of games, but they've all been draws. You know, they're the you know, they've won one game, they lost, you know, two, they drew three. Where's the production? Where's where's the final ball? And then you see two wins and you're like, great. But those two wins hinged on a goal in the 92nd minute by a sub off of a corner kick awarded sort of speciously. And then an own goal, you know, so it's kind of one of those things that, again, soccer is cruel as I never tire of saying the way that a game looks can have nothing to do with what the result is. And then once the results are in the books, those are the results. Minnesota's has gotten six points over the last over the last week, uh, regardless of how those points came. So I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's one of those things that's like, well, these are the results. We've only got a couple games left. If it gets you into the top half of the playoff seating, then. You know, take it. The playoffs are a whole new game anyways.
0: Yeah, it's important to, to move into the playoffs with momentum, as we've said in the past as well, on many different occasions. It's, it has been a clear and obvious piece of evidence over the course of the last few years in this league, particularly, that moving into the postseason with momentum can take you just about anywhere. Um, so, look, um, the last two games in particular they've not exactly been enthralling from a viewing point of view, have they? (laughs) Um, We'll talk about Cincinnati first, I'm assuming. Um, And look, correct me if I'm wrong here again, Steve, but the Loons did it in the very stereotypical Minnesotan way and made it very difficult for themselves, um, uh, but ultimately got got a victory. Um, And I think it's uh, it's important, again, when we're talking about people like Aaron Schoenfelds, he understands his role. He understands that he's going to come in um, for the last 20, 25 minutes from time to time and he may start the old game. Um, I think that's so important for a successful roster, particularly in this league where there is so much travel involved. Uh, I, I think it's so important to have players who understand their role and um, Aaron Schoenfeld absolutely does. And, you know, I thought um, he, he took his goal very well. There are plenty of people um, who have a much more glistening resume um, in the footballing world than Aaron Schoenfeld that, that would have panicked in that situation. You know, obviously um, the, the ball ricocheted off the post after Michael Boxall came close with the header uh, and Schoenfeld was able to take a touch and, and lash it through the legs of Spencer Ritchie. So uh, I thought it was an instinctive finish. Um, I thought it was the sharpest he had looked for for some time. Um, and uh, it just shows that, that having players like that in your roster, that they are very valuable in, in, in times like these um, when you do have games on Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. So um, I, I think having someone like Aaron Schoenfeld is, is a very good idea for just about anybody in Major League Soccer. And um, look, as I said, um, uh, it wasn't, wasn't the most entertaining game, but at least Minnesota got the victory. Um, and they uh, they went into that Colorado game full of momentum.
1: Yeah, we've seen, Cal, how some of those shots can go awry. I'm thinking back to Michael Boxel's point blank opportunity in the open cup uh final that yeah. was basically from that same range and went over the crossbar. So it's far from a done deal when you get the ball at your feet right there. There's a lot of stuff going on. And it has to happen very quickly. So credit to Schoenfeld for, for locking in and getting that goal. It was uh it was a it was a tough recap, right, <laughs> I have to say. Um, because not much happened until that 92nd minute. It really was, I mean, the too many goals. I'm going to just go into some inside baseball here about ready to recap as you're taking notes on a game to look back at it. There's sort of a sweet spot of goals. Like I think three total goals in a game between three and five total goals is, is good uh, because that gives you, you know, three clips, three goal clips to play it gives you, uh, you know, a good game. A, a 2-2 draw is good. A, a 2-1 win is good. Uh, you know, a 4-0 win can be okay. Uh, if it gets to be too much, once you get over, like, I remember re- like writing this Cincinnati game that was a 7-1 win. It's like, okay, do I really have to write every, like, talk about every single goal here because eventually it just starts to feel like overkill. And then, you know, a nil-nil draw is is one of the worst because you there's so much you have to just sort of make up. You're talking about close opportunities. If there wasn't like a fight or a major injury, it's it's like what do you hang your hat on? And that was and That's how Cincinnati felt. There wasn't a fight or a major injury or something that was. It, it just felt like Cincinnati was not playing very well. Minnesota United was playing down to that competition, uh, that level of competition, not creating chances. Stuff wasn't going on, and then that goal comes in the last minute. I was like, this is even worse because literally who cares about anything that happened in the 91 minutes before that goal happened. So, um, so let's talk a little bit of the goal itself. Uh, should it have been a corner kick in the first place? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I sort of talked myself back and forth on it for a minute. Cause I saw it. I was like, Oh, that's, that's definitely out on Ray. So, and then they gave the corner kick. and I was like, well, maybe, maybe they saw something. And then I saw it again. I was like, yeah, that uh, no, it definitely was off Ray. So, there just to clear this up. There is no capacity for VAR in the rules on that play because the play itself was not, you know, a goal or a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, and honestly, at this point, with the way VAR is, I'm kind of fine with it. And I think I would even be fine with it the other way because I think there's just there's a level of micromanagement in VAR that is. It, like the, the the thing of like let them play and then you know so you can you can then stop it later and rewind it and then take goals off the board and things like this, I, I sort of would rather just have you know human judgment happens. Sometimes it happens in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. Than trying to establish this like rock solid. This is the way things happen. Um, and then there's all these inconsistencies. There's no goal line technology, but there's VAR. So like I, like, I just sort of feel like it's kind of half, pardon my French, it's kind of half-assed right now. <laughs> like, And so if it's not gonna be all the way, then I'm okay with a little bit of human judgment coming in now and again. That's my position.
0: Yeah, Steve, I, I can't even begin to defend VAR at the moment. I, I don't even know anymore. I just don't know that the LA game over the weekends, um, the first goal that was scored, when the ball was clearly out of play at the opposite end, it is reviewable because they then start an attacking phase. How do the officials not know this? How do they, how do they not go and have a look at it? I, I don't understand. Um, so I, I think the, the least we talk about VAR and those running it, the better, in my opinion, because I may get myself and the club into a bit of trouble because just it's, it, it's, it's beyond infuriating. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, whilst we're talking about. Complications and stuff uh, with Cincinnati. uh, People who were able to watch the broadcast may very well have noticed that the camera was very quick to switch to Mister Schoenfeld when uh, when he scored. Um, So, rather than going back and forth with people on Twitter, I'll just say here: uh, once again, we don't control. We do not control any of these cameras, any of the production when they are road games because we don't travel because of COVID nineteen in twenty twenty. So we can't control anything. What you see at home is what we see when we're calling the game. Um, so it was very much to our surprise when what seemed like a fairly routine replay that Kindredy St. Aubin was, was talking over, um, as she should be, um, all of a sudden the camera switched uh, to the live play and the balls at the feet of Aaron Schoenfeld Little did we know that Michael Boxall had hit the ball um, off the bar, off the woodwork, rather. Um, prior to that, um, we had no idea, and it's just one of those things that happens. It's live television, uh, and these things can happen. So, um, but in terms of the game itself, Steve, um, I was actually quite impressed with FC Cincinnati. That they look a much more vibrant outfit that they have done than they have done during their, um, let's face it, rather paltry spell in Major League Soccer. Um, one thing which I was quite impressed with, because it did cause a few problems, and, it, and it, it, it wasn't identified as much as it needed to be, in my opinion, uh, was then playing a false nine, uh, Luke, De Jong, Luke De Jong, Cindy Young, um, who is a traditionally a central midfielder, more of a number 10, but, but he, he has played in the central midfield for PSV Eindhoven, Ajax, and Newcastle, and even for Sydney FC in Australia. Um, he was playing a number, playing up front in a number nine role, but a false nine role, and and I thought that caused Minnesota complications because what the false nine essentially is is designed to do is is pull out your two centre-halves, or at least one of them. Um, And then the number 10, which in in this particular instance was Frankie Amaya, can play off of the nine and and play in behind. um, Because the the centre-half has has gone with the number nine, um, the false nine. Uh, when he's dropped back, and then the 10 can get in behind. And also, it, it usually, not all the time, but usually, and it did on this particular incident from, um, on several different occasions at Cincinnati, the wide players tucked in and essentially became sort of makeshift centre-forwards, and the wide threat comes from the fullbacks, which, which again it did um, through... Uh, Gutman and, and Zico Bailey who I thought was impressive on his first MLS start I don't think enough was made of, of that because it, it caused a lot of problems for, for Minnesota United but um, eventually once they sort of understood what was going on oh, hello, <laughs> this is uh, Mari for those watching the uh, video feed, say hello um, cat, just Cats. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and look it, it was um, it, it, it caused a problem and as I said once Minnesota were able to, to get the better of that problem and figure out what was going on um, I, I thought they managed it quite well, but no doubt those first 20 minutes um, against uh, Cincinnati, um, there were one or two question marks that um, that caused problems for Minnesota United, no doubt.
1: Yeah, I felt that, am um, I, I maybe too in, being too hard on FC Cincinnati? It just, it, it sort of reminded, they, their play reminded me of the times over like Minnesota United's first couple seasons where they would have a really, where they would have a good game where it's like, Oh, you do have an idea of sort of how you want to approach something. And it would sort of look interesting. Um, and then, you know, for a variety of reasons, like there would be a regression or guys would go out or you would have, you would have, you would, you would struggle, you know, you wouldn't get as much from your midfield as you would like to. I think that there's a lot that, that Yav is, is putting in place. And I, I think there was some talk about it going into the game that his, he's sort of tried a couple different formations he's working through different ideas. It's a, which is I appreciated because I feel like he's really not, uh, ideological. It seems like so far in the sense of, he's not like, this is, this is the formation I want. And then I'm going to make this work. You know, I'm just going to try to ram this down the throat of the team in order to make it happen. He seems to be trying, you know, three at the back, four at the back, four, three, threes, three, four, threes. Um, I'm missing a guy there. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. Like he's 4-2-3-1. He's sort of trying a couple different things and seeing where his pieces can work. Um, and that's that's appreciated because I think it's the thing I always appreciate in a coach when they can show a certain degree of flexibility with regard to obviously a coach is like this is how I like to approach the game, but sometimes you got to recognize that your personnel either overall is not right for that or your personnel at the moment is not right for it or the opponent calls for something. Coaches want to be on the front foot. They want to force the other team to change. But sometimes it's like, you just need to know which arrows you have in your quiver. And that seems like sort of where Stom is right now. Stom? Stom? Stom. Uh,
0: it's just, yep, Stom,
1: I think. Yep, Stom. Okay. I, yeah, I'm just checking. Uh, I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's where Stom is right now. Is sort of trying to figure out, like, get a feel for what is going to work for the team going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I would encourage people to keep an eye on Cincinnati because I'm I'm intrigued to see what they do in the off-season. I don't think they'll make the playoffs this year. Um, And I think the fact that their GM, um, Gerard Neitkamp, came out the other, what was it, last Monday or Tuesday and said that they still perhaps need four or five transfer windows um, to get themselves to the level that they want to compete at, which which ultimately is MLS Cup. Um, So I'm interested to to see... um, what part of Europe they add from? Because I think that's the aim from people that I've had conversations with at that club. Um, wouldn't surprise me if uh, a handful of Dutch players arrive because they have a Dutch manager, a Dutch GM, um, and Yappstam seems to want to play this sort of total Dutch football type system where it is very abrasive, high press, four three three. You know and. Um, what better way to replicate that than having players that are familiar with it, and that would be players that are from the Netherlands. So, it'd uh, be interesting, but I think um, I think they're a much better team than people have given them credit for, for sure. Yeah.
1: All right, Cal. Let's move on to the game against Colorado Rapids. Uh, we have a little divergence of opinion, apparently, on this on this game. I enjoyed it more than the Cincinnati game uh, because I found that while there was a certain degree of looseness and and Maybe a little more, maybe a little less cohesion. There was a lot more energy I felt in the Cincinnati game from from both sides. Especially having watched um, you know clips from um, Colorado's defeat at Sporting Kansas City, I thought they looked a lot more with it overall than in that game. Um, I found it fine to watch overall. You seem to not be as enthusiastic about the Colorado Rapids game.
0: Well, so here's the thing about it. Um, Yes, I agree there was energy in the game. My issue was that I thought there was an obvious lack of quality. What I hope didn't happen is people, for the very first time, thought at that particular evening, oh, do you know what I'll do? I'll I'll watch Minnesota United for the first time this evening, or I'll I'll watch Major League Soccer for the first time, because that was not the game that would have been put forward to advertise the league or or our club, for sure. Um, It was... um, (laughs) I, I must admit, Steve, it was. I thought from a quality point of view, there were so many loose passes, uh, so many wayward direct balls, um, efforts off goal. Um, there was a, a generic lull to the game, I thought. It just looked like one Colorado Rapids, a team that had only played one game in the last four or five weeks, I, I thought they started well, which was to be expected. But after that, you could tell that they were lacking in terms of sharpness and fitness, um, which led to a lot of individual mistakes. But I thought Minnesota were brought down to that level, to be honest. Um, and uh, it, it, I'll be honest, I know you said it was a struggle to to perhaps write the recap. It was a struggle to call, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I, um, I must admit, I thought it was one of the worst MLS games I've ever seen. And I'm a firm believer of this league. I, I'm somebody who will push this league on anybody who who doesn't seem to to think it's very good or what have you, you know, I, I will, um, you know, get my point across and, and tell them um, you're wrong, you have to watch this league consistently to have a firm opinion of it. Um, but even I would admit that was not the greatest advertisement for Major League Soccer ever. Having said that, um, Minnesota United got themselves a victory. Here's another um, reason to back up my my point of it not being great in terms of quality, Steve. The winning goal itself, it was like a video game glitch. The fact that Ethan Fenlay put a good ball in, that was the moment of quality, of course, but Fenlay puts the ball in, and Abubakar is running back towards goal. He's not even looking at the ball, and it hits him square in the face, and it goes in. I've never, ever seen a goal, an own goal like that before. I, I couldn't believe it. It caught me off guard. I was like, has that really just happened? Um yeah. An element of misfortune about it, of course. But look at the ball, man. Turn to the ball. I just didn't think it was a great moment. Um, and I think, uh, like I said, end of the day, Minnesota got the victory they wanted.
1: Clinical, clinical finishing by Lala Zabukar on that one. <laughs> it, it was when you watched it back in the replay. He, when he hit it, the, their goalkeeper's reaction. It looked like he just had no reaction. It didn't even look like he thought it was going to go in until it was like over his head, and then he just sort of collapsed in a pile. Um, We'll get we'll get to that goal. Um, What do you remember the first MLS game you ever watched?
0: First MLS game I ever watched was in two thousand. Full game because I'd seen highlights in two thousand and seven when when Beckham first came over because there was a. Okay. A television show created specifically for his arrival uh, for a UK audience and whatnot. Um, 2009 was the first MLS, full MLS game I had watched. Um, and that was um, Seattle against LA Galaxy in the, in the playoffs. And uh, I remember it was, um, there was a goal, a beautiful goal from Edson Buddle from Thirty-five, maybe even forty yards out. It was a volley. I'd stayed up late for whatever reason because it was like two o'clock in the morning. I was watching this back in in England, um, and uh, yeah, Edson Buttle rifled in a volley from as I said, it was it was about thirty-five, forty yards out, and it was a uh, you know a, a typical century link field. It was forty thousand plus, and, and I thought to myself wow, this is this is really impressive. Um, so that was that was the first full game, I think, if memory serves me correct, that I watched in terms of, of Major League Soccer.
1: Okay um, it 's funny because i hadn 't thought about it until until you mentioned about like if this was somebody 's first game of, of watching MLS i think I believe my first game of, of MLS that I watched was are you ready for this? I think it was in' ninety nine or possibly two thousand, and uh, I was living in New York at the time. And, uh, my girlfriend at the time we were, there was like a wedding we were going to, and it was like slightly upstate. And so we went upstate to this place and she was in the wedding. And so there were, she had a bunch of stuff she had to do and I had nothing that I had to do. And so I was in the hotel room of this sort of country inn, and, uh, did not have cable at the time, I don't think. And so had not seen that much. I mean, I had like, you know, I was living in New York. I couldn't afford cable. <laughs> and, um, I, uh. I, and it, so there was a, there was an MLS game on, and it was like my, my, the singer from my band at the time was, had played soccer and I always liked soccer. I played some FIFA, maybe at that point, I'm not sure, but I would played soccer in college and stuff. And I was like, let's check that, check out this MLS thing. And I think it was Chicago. I know it was the Chicago fire It was one of the teams. I don't know what the other team was. Um, and you know, it was like an a Saturday afternoon game on ESPN 28. I don't know who knows, you know, <laughs> It was not good. I mean, MLS. I feel like MLS in '99 or 2000 is like the quality. The quality was really not not there. So I do remember. You know, I'm stuck with nothing to do, and I watched that. I may have not watched the whole game. Was how boring I think it was that I ended up deciding to do something else. Um, Anyways, that was my first MLS experience, and then it was a long time before I watched my next MLS game. So um, okay, enough about that. Let's talk about the the Colorado thing. One of the things that was that's interesting is that these teams, Minnesota and Colorado, always get into it. This is probably the most peaceful game overall uh in terms of between the two sides uh since this was a 2-1 win there's still only one game that's been decided by more than one goal uh between these two teams and that was like a 2-0 or something like that, that 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 Colorado won so the games have been tight there have been suspensions there have been red cards there have been you know there's been all that stuff I mean I feel like. And Abubakar's own goal sort of fits into this, except that it just kind of deflated the team at the end rather than leading to a bunch of bad blood or anything like that. Um, but, man, these two teams, for whatever reason, Colorado and, and, and Minnesota, seem to get get into it when they, when they, when they play against each other.
0: Yeah, they do. Uh, and it was um, a little softer compared to recent clashes, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe that's because Ozzy Alonso left the game. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Let's
1: let's talk about let's talk about Ozzy a little bit there because that really I I had to, I was watching the game on mute at that point point. Um, and uh, you know I couldn't hear your commentary but I could see Ozzy's face and it really he, reading his face it really looked like he felt like he was really disappointed and it really he's again I think as Adrian emphasized after the game he's not a guy who comes off because because his toe hurts like he's he's going to be in unless it's something bad and it looked to judge by his face like he was like. Yeah, I can't do this. This is not gonna be good. So that's that's not good for the prospects of him playing in the near future, it would seem.
0: No, it's not, Steve. I, I don't know for sure, but the whispers were that it was another issue with, with his hamstring. I don't know if it's the same one. I'd, I'd
1: heard different off. different hamstring I
0: had heard. Okay, okay. Um either way, it it's another injury that's probably gonna keep Ozzy Alonso out for several weeks. And and knowing how much we have left of the regular season, we we probably one would assume if if it is a strain or, or even was a tear, we probably won't see Ozzy Alonso again um, until the until the playoffs. So it's, um, look, it's no, no doubt, it's it's an issue. Um, now with Hassani Dotson, obviously, um, not being available as well due to the the ankle injury that he sustains. Um, but uh, the good thing is about that, Steve, is that I was quite surprised, actually, we saw Hassani Dotson Training at uh, Allianz field when he first got to the, when we first got to the stadium uh, yesterday afternoon and he and looked like he was moving around a lot better than what we thought. Adrian Heath even said to the press uh, that he thought that he, he had recovered much quicker than, than they originally anticipated, which is great. So here's hoping Hassani Dotson is available and we'll see him in a Minnesota United kit again this season. Um, Look, well, Ja'Cory Hayes obviously comes in and, and brings a lot Young uh, Gregus is is very good. We know what he brings, um, and Marlon Hessen can come into the central midfield and do a job as well. So mm. I think um, you know it's good to have depth. I, I I wonder if Minnesota will make any additions today, which is obviously the the trade window today across Major League Soccer. Um, yeah. I, I think they will. Uh, I know they're trying one or two things. Um, whether they come off or not is another thing. But um, if they can get in some more midfielders, in my opinion, uh, it would probably help because I think the the depth of of this team, much like uh, across the entirety of Major League Soccer Steve, is really being tested this year because of of the, the situation that COVID has presented, um, and and having games Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. You know, it's um, it, it's been problematic for just about everybody in Major League Soccer, uh, none more so than Colorado Rapids, of course, but. Um, you know, so it's a shame if Alonzo is is injured uh, as as badly as one would assume. If it is a hamstring strain or, as I said, even worse a tear, um, we'll have to wait and see. But um, in in my opinion, um, losing anybody uh, who has the the experience, know how, and, and resume of Aussie Alonzo is, is going to affect any team in Major League Soccer.
1: Yeah, it's almost like I mean, with this season, it's like your depth needs depth because I feel like this season Minnesota probably had its its deepest roster, but it's already had to dig into that depth. And so now like if you could add, you know, a couple more a couple more of those utility guys. I mean, we've seen how useful at different spots Raheem Edwards, Marlon Harrison, even James Mooser from time to time. Um, how useful those guys you can sort of play, you know, a little defensive mid, a little outside back, a little winger, you know, if you could do a couple of those things, that's great. I mean, even Ja'Cory had a little bit of a a, a groin issue, I believe uh, that, that pulled him out of the game. So again, if you're looking at really one and a half completely healthy, uh, you know, sort of double pivot guys, you're going to need to find some other, some other options going forward. Um, The, Uh, I wanna talk about the goals a little bit. Uh, I thought the first goal, um, again, I would agree with you pretty pretty sloppy overall the first goal was a real spot of quality and really showed how much the Minnesota missed Reynoso for those games that he was at as that guy who can provide that moment of quality, like to just open things up and do something that, you know, you need a little bit of that extra precision, that extra skill to, to, to pull off, Um, you know, really having the vision to see, Lud like on that run coming in from the wing. Um, which also I want to give a shout out to um again, we talked a little about Schoenfeld already, and, and he's obviously got pulled into a, a much bigger role in this game um than, than was necessarily expected. But he he dragged his defender uh, sort of out of that position. Um, he came towards the ball uh in the box. You know, I'm I'm not gonna give him credit for the foresight to understand everything that was about to happen, but understood that keeping moving you're pulling your defender away and that just opened up the swath of space and and Lud could slide in there because the 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 fullback on that side was was out of position um so good move from Schoenfeld to get out of there and then Reynosa to have that vision to see it and then put the ball right on Lud's feet his preferred left foot again uh it, I mean really really smacked that ball it was really nice to see a strong finish like that
0: it was a lovely finish and, and it opened up lovely for him um finish
1: finish get uh, it
0: there you go <laughs> um, no it, it was it was a really good finish um because the the way that the ball was played into him he could have, he could have very easily let it come across his body and, and gone back across the goalkeeper again uh, and and use the right foot, but because obviously he's, he's clearly more comfortable on, on the left foot Steve mm. um, he opened up his body really nicely, and there was enough pace behind the ball where um he knew if he hit it first time, it would cause the goalkeeper a problem if he hit it low enough, which is what he did. Um, so I, I thought, again, it was, it was, a, it was probably the, the best moment in terms of quality of the game, I thought, Steve. Um, Reynoso is just like, it's literally like stroking silk watching him play. Uh, he, he just is, is such a thrill to watch. Um, and I, I, I'm really intrigued to see, you know, once, once he has a full season with Minnesota Um, because a a full season um, in normal circumstances as well. (laughs) Um, I I really wonder how good this kid can be. I I think he can be really, really top draw. Um, You don't play for someone like Boca Juniors for for several years like he did and and win two Argentine titles like he did for no reason. Um, And I said this before about him when when Minnesota first signed him. Um, When when he first came in... uh, so, well, after the first year at Boca Juniors, rather, he um, he was known best as, as a number 10. But during his time at Boca Juniors, he had several different managers. And because there was a, a certain player called Carlos Tevez <laughs> playing the number 10, that there wasn't enough room for Emmanuel Reynoso at that stage, which is fine. But... In my opinion, I think it says a lot about the player himself. The fact that every single manager that he had—I believe it was three different managers—he had at Boca Juniors, every single manager tried to get him into the starting eleven, and that's why he was playing predominantly in the eight role for Boca Juniors, um, and then would play in the number ten whenever Carlos Tevez was needed up front or, or wasn't available or what have you. You know, so um, it was—I um, I think it was such a smart move for Minnesota United, because if he carries on like he's done, and as I said, if he excels in in any sort of sense of normality, hopefully in in 2021, 2022, um, I see no reason why Minnesota wouldn't find themselves in in an Atlanta United situation when they sold off Miguel Almiron for nearly $30 million, you know, and obviously that would be a massive coup for the club. So Um, And also, that's okay as well. We have to accept where Major League Soccer is in terms of um, world football. It's okay to be a selling league. They aren't the only league that sells their best products away, um, as the majority of leagues do. Um, And and that's okay. Let's be comfortable with that, you know, Um, because ultimately, if if if, if something like that does happen, Steve, it has to be viewed as a success because then you've got $30 million or there or thereabouts in the pocket, which you can invest in, you know, an academy. You can invest uh, on the playing roster. Um, you can you can perhaps look at better quality players with that amount of money you're bringing in. It can also secure the futures of of many people around the club. You know, so
1: um, you give uh, your give your play-by-play commentator a big raise.
0: There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I I, I think Bruno So is, is top draw, Steve, and I, I'm really excited to see where he is. Let's give him a year. I'm really excited to see what the conversations are between you and I this time next year when we're talking about Emmanuel Reynolds. So I, I think they will be full of pleasure.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. All right, let's. Uh, we've been going on a while here. Let's get let's get on to the next couple of games. We won't spend too much time on these. Um, SKC, what what is it going to take to get a result against a pretty hot SKC team who are on top of the Western Conference? In their home, Minnesota's never taken so much as a point at Children's Mercy Park. Um, Polito is back looking good. They have two wins in a row. Uh, What are the the chances here? What what has to happen to get a point out of this game? Um,
0: So I don't know anything. I've not spoken to anybody on the coaching staff or anything um, since yesterday. Mm -hmm. If I was in charge, Steve, and, and, and we're assuming here that the bodies are available as well, if people are fit, I would go with the five-man back line.
1: Yeah. It
0: would morph into a sort of a 3-5-1-1, one, one, if you will, um, once you you press forward. I would have, if Aha is fit and available, I would go Aha, Kalman and, and Boxall at centre-half, and I would I would go Debassi at left-back, and I would go Meternier right-back. Uh, as we said, Alonso, it doesn't seem like he's going to be available. Um you would assume then, Jan Gregush, Jakori Hayes would come in. Obviously, no uh, Hassani Dotson. So maybe you give an opportunity to someone like Amala Marlon Hairston, um, and then I would play uh, Reynoso behind Kai Kamara, um, and I would I would try and shut out Kansas City as much as possible, and, and observe um, uh, absorb rather pressure that that will come inevitably, and try and hit them on the break, and, and try and. Um, rely on on the, the wing backs to to create from out wide, but but again go through the centre and go into the feet of Emmanuel Reynolds. So um, that's what I would try and do. But but I, I don't know how Adrian Heath is going to play this, Steve. But um, it's uh, it's a difficult place to go. Um, they're top of the West for a reason. So um, they just seem to be able to grind out results. Um, they have a roster that is ripe with experience. They've been there, done that, and gotten the T-shirts, uh, not just in this league, across a variety of different leagues, across world football as well. So, um, yeah, uh, I would go with uh, with that sort of approach towards it, uh, which I think is okay. They won't be the first team to go and do that at Kansas City this year because I think, um, let's be honest, that there would be humongous emphasis on, on the two games after that, which are both at home against Chicago and FC Dallas.
1: Right. I mean, I think that, that you're looking at three games left. You're looking at wanting to have health going into the playoffs. You're looking at a couple of players with, with, with knocks to begin with. Um, go in there and then just try to frustrate. SKC as much as possible for as long as possible and eke out a a nil nil or one nil if you can steal a goal um you know a, a one one draw like just something that like again it maybe don't you know you're not gonna play pretty um you're you're missing some players who can help you do that kind of stuff but you got you've got Reynoso you've got Kai Kamara so maybe let those guys work on their own and then like let everybody just fall back into lines and just you know try to hold sporting off as long as possible, and maybe they get frustrated and annoyed because you're looking at a Chicago Fire game that should be eminently winnable at home and an FC Dallas game that should be winnable as well, given the success that Minnesota's had against FC Dallas at Allianz Field. Um, Yeah, I mean, looking at – let's just touch on the Chicago Fire briefly as well because they're – again, we tend to forget the second game of these these matchups. I guess the question I have is the Chicago Fire right now is just – they can make the playoffs, definitely. In the East, there's a lot of slots open. Um, will they Will they make the playoffs, do you think, at this point?
0: I think so, Steve. I think they've got enough about them. I'm a big fan of Berich up front. He's a handful, uh, and will be a handful when Minnesota play them next Wednesday. Um, I um, think they, they are a little more direct than a lot of people uh, would realize. Um, I'm a big, big fan of um, Alvaro Medran in the centre of midfield Steve I think he's excellent um, there's a reason why at one stage he was he was deemed the, the next big thing when he was coming through the academy at Real Madrid um, <laughs> it's not just any player that happens to you know you're not just given that label just because um, there has to be an element of truth about it and obviously it didn't quite work out for him he ended up playing in a couple of other different places around Spain but he's he's played in La Liga for the majority of his career for a reason and um, He's a top player, Steve, and everything goes through him. Um, so my, my if I was Adrian Heath, my, my instructions there would be to stop the ball getting at the feet of, of Medran. Um, and if it does, you pester the living daylights out of him and make sure he doesn't execute the pass because um, he's one of these players who um, he's a deep-lying playmaker but is equally as effective in the eight role as well. So... Um, He's the player to watch out for from Chicago Fire, no doubt. And as I said, they've got plenty of firepower up front as well.
1: Yeah, I have now watched a ton of uh, the Chicago Fire this this season. Um, Still winless uh, on the road right now overall. Uh, So, you know, I I expect them – I mean, I expect we'll hear what we – hear from Adrian most weeks, which is, it's, I expect it to be difficult, even if, you know, like no matter the, the opponent, he, he will always, he gives every opponent their due respect, understand you can't sleepwalk your way through any games and expect to, to get something out of them. So um, a lot of work to be done there, obviously against Chicago fire right now, they are 11th, although they are uh, 1.05 in points per game, which puts them over into Miami who are one in points per game. So uh, should Lee really make the decision to, uh, go to points per game instead of points. Uh, maybe that would bump them up a little bit. Um, but it depends a lot on what happens over these next weeks. And I think Minnesota United is capable of uh, taking three points off of them. So, um, all right. Do you have any closing thoughts?
0: No, just, just that now, as you, as you said, you know, I think um, if you were to offer a point in Kansas City right now, we would absolutely take it. Um, and I think that there is an expectation now with this team, particularly at Allianz Field, So, the last two home games, Steve, I would absolutely say they've got to be wins. Um, I think Minnesota will secure their playoff spot here relatively soon. Um, But now, you really want to try and get a home game. Um, You know, I know there's not as much advantage because of of no fans being in the stadium. But still, as we mentioned at the top of the the podcast, Steve, with the way that these players are travelling around for the away games, I don't assume that will will change in the postseason. Uh, you want to play a home game. So let's finish in the top four and let's finish the season strong and take momentum into the postseason.
1: Sounds good to me. Thanks for joining us for the 118th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Sunday, November 1st at 6.30 p.m. when MNUFC renews the nicest rivalry in sports against Sporting Kansas City at Children's Mercy Park. You can watch that game on Fox Sports North and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at calwilliams.com and you can follow me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.